Our fourth guest has become somewhat of a dear friend, I'd like to think. I never dreamed I'd ever get to meet him, let alone become friends. Francisco Costa has now found his true mission and launched a slow luxury sustainable beauty brand called Costa Brazil. I have to say I'm obsessed with it. It smells amazing and it feels so good on the skin. And this is not a paid sponsorship. I just loved him beauty product. And he's actually as passionate about the Amazon as I am about mission. Charlene and I were so interested in what he had to say that we'll have to do another episode because we just couldn't stop listening and we couldn't stop talking. So there will be another part. But for now, I'd love you to just tune in and listen to the genuinely passionate and wonderful man, Francisco Costa. Okay, so we're live recording. (laughs) Charlene, this is a dream. I can't believe I'm talking to you. I can't believe I'm speaking to you. I was literally, I was still, when when Karina says to me, Francisco um, says that he listened to your music when he was in London, when he when we were working at Gucci. I was like, oh, my God, no. He knows who I am. I was so shocked. <laughs> you know, you, you, you certainly made a mark because it was uh, I was living in London while I was working with Comfort at Gucci. And uh, I had this flat on um, uh, 59 Cadogan Gardens. And it was like a right. – you know, the windows are to the street. It was like a main floor. Yeah. And I used to play it so loudly, and the windows are all open. <laughs> I <laughs> had a lot of people stopping by and asking if there was a party going on. <laughs> oh my God. I love that you're doing promo on Texas. That is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> in, fact, in fact, I made many friends through your music. Oh, that is good. <laughs> were you there? Were you with Tom at Gucci at the point when Gucci because you guys did all my suits you did the leather suit for the Elvis video that we did for Inner Smile and you guys you did did loads of clothes for me during that point when when Tom was at Gucci I just wondered if you were there at that point because that leather suit that was made for me we did the we did a special on the Elvis um, 68 special and basically Gucci made the suit for me in leather which was just Fantastic. Yes. <gasps> he was there doing that at that point. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm like, oh, I'm slightly bleeding. Wow. <laughs> what a great oh time, you know. Amazing. Um, we just have people give a little intro to our listeners, Francisco, um, just for context. So do you want to just, in a nutshell, kind of who you are? You know, uh, Francisco here. You know, I've been in the fashion industry for many years, about um, 30 years. Uh, working, you know, starting off uh, of New York City where I live, you know, an immigrant from Brazil. And, um, yeah, I started with Oscar de la Renta, then Bill Blast, and uh, right after I moved into London, you know, to work with Tom Ford and Gucci. Then um, back into New York where I stayed with Calvin Klein for about 13 years. Mm. And uh, happily so, uh, uh, three years ago, uh, I decided to depart. It was a mutual agreement between uh, the company and myself. They needed a change, uh, and so did I. And uh, I had, you know, started working on a lifestyle brand, which was very much, um, you know, with a strong Brazilian DNA. So we just launched uh, last December, and it's been quite acclaimed, great reviews. What we're trying to do is really to reinvent or uh, innovate on that space, which I didn't know very much about it. Um, mm-hmm. We're doing a, um, a a beauty brand, but completely uh, different, completely uh, based, founded in sustainability mm-hmm. and uh, reinterpreting what uh, you know beauty is all about, which is to me is is nature, you know, this relationship in body and nature. So the brand stands for, for that communication. So um, and does and does the beauty brand can can men and women use it or is it female? Yeah, it's totally unisex. Um, you know, we in fact I had planned a launch with a very different merchandising plan, for instance. And all of a sudden, you know, because of my uh, insane trips into the Amazon. I didn't know much of about the north of Brazil. I felt that, you know, I had to uh, sort of uh, 
going to trips and, and, and the journey of going and encountering new ingredients was really surprising. Wow. So we, we launched uh, two rituals. One is the skin, skin ritual, which is face and body. And then we have the breathe ritual, which we have Breo, uh, which I'll go through later on, uh, right. which is a, a type of a natural resin. comes from this one amazing tree in the Amazon. And then we have a vegan candle. And then we're about to launch a new product. It's a waterless cream, body cream uh, formulation oh, wow. that um, all you're getting is really the actives of the ingredients. So it's quite exciting in that sense. Uh, uh, it's all very new for me. Uh, and um, I can tell you I'm the happiest ever because I'm doing something that's really genuine. It's something that's really uh, authentic to myself, my roots. But in a very urban way, you know. Um, so um, uh, we hopefully, hopefully, to become a um, a B Corp. You know, that's the yes. that's yes. the whole yes. intent here behind uh, the brand. And we have to be successful because we want to be able to share. And uh, so that's in a nutshell. You know, that's what we've been doing now. Amazing. Uh, and it's uh, very really exciting. Francesco, what do you? Th- I mean, like. You've gone from, I mean, you came, you grew up in Brazil um, and, and you went into fashion. What was, because I, it would be really interesting to hear, like, how you eventually ended up with um, and going from fashion into beauty. But what was, what was sort of like the, you know, what time, at what age did you kind of feel you had big interest in, in, in fashion and that that was really going to be something that you wanted to work? towards working in well fashion is sort of somewhat like on my blood you know i grew up in an environment a very small town in brazil uh very very small my parents had a children's wear manufacturer yeah, right and uh, uh it's interesting thinking you know uh, looking back you know how that sustainability uh how that's eco-friendly uh sort of concept was always really ingrained in what we did mm-hmm. my mom for instance um i love to talk about her <laughs> yes. and she she would for instance you know the textile that was left over out of cutting the the, the garments and what have you should distribute them to you know small communities you know surrounding town so that they could wow. do fields and what have you so create she created really a uh, full cycle you know for uh, was left, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. Then, um, you know, she founded a, a children's home where the moms could actually go to work and leave the kids. She also was very involved with the founding of this, um, uh, an old people's home, like uh, a place where old people retire and live, you know, with a lot of help and what have you. So with that being said, fashion was really there. Uh, I came to New York at a very young age. I couldn't speak a word of English. And uh, I said, I have to go to fashion school. So I, um, you know, I was about uh, 19, turning 20 when I did that. And um, it was the most interesting, challenging, uh, freeing experience that I really uh, ever explored. So with that being said, you know, fashion, as as I was looking into continuing ad courses, just to actually to improve my English or to learn English in that sense, you know, um, I tried photography, I tried paint because I used to paint as well. But um, I ended up, you know, taking classes at, at, in fashion until I got a, uh, an award because I, I submitted some of my sketches to a contest that was happening that all those 15 students from the whole school would be selected uh, to go to, uh, to uh, Italy for an internship. Of uh-huh. course, you know, after, after the submission of the sketches that I did, the portfolio, they couldn't find me because I wasn't registered as a full-time student. And uh, they <laughs> searched, and obviously they found me and uh, told me that I couldn't go because I wasn't enlisted at the full time. Uh-huh. But uh, they opened up the space, and I did go, ended up winning this contest. So that opened up, uh, uh, you know, the world for me. And a very um, – that with FIT, which is the – it's a fashion school, you know, um, uh, part of uh, uh, State University of New York, which was really great. So it wasn't really a decision that I made. It was really there. 
So with that being said, mm-hmm. um, what happened to this new concept? It was very much like that. I totally, totally in love with uh, the works of Piero Manzoni, uh, who is um, one of the basically founders of the Arti Povera movement right. uh, in the late 50s, 60s, 70s. And Manzoni played these highs and lows, you know, and it was all about this communication between highs and lows and, and means of processing things. And, uh, you know, I have his anthology and I carry that with the, as a Bible with me, you know, not that I'm, just, but, mm-hmm. you know, it was always that thing haunting me, you know, and 10 years later, you know, the, um, the book is completely damaged, I mean, destroyed because I loved it so much. I said, my God, this is a beauty brand because the package was extraordinary. <laughs> And he had created this yes. series of cans, and he uh, would call them Merdartist, which is basically packed, you know, shit. And, yes. <laughs> and, uh, and uh, it was just so tongue-in-cheek, the whole thing. Right. So, you know, the project was established based on his works, you know, because, uh, you know, uh, I just loved, you know, uh, the essence of, of, of the work and what it spoke about. So I don't know. Um, it was just it was just a call somewhat, you know. It was very, very organic, you know, as, as, as mm-hmm. much as I can say. It's very raw, his work, isn't it, Piero Manzoni? It's very raw and, and natural, which I think is very the sensibility of Costa totally, Brazil as well. Totally, you know. Um, you know, some things are destroyed. Some things are very sharp and very sleek. Um, but I mean, this, this, the series of beautiful cans and who packed them, who write labels, um, it was just really, really, uh, inspiring to me. And I had never seen his work in person until very recently, um, mm-hmm. an exhibition here in New York and, um, coincided with the launch of the brand. So it was like really genius. It was amazing. Wow. That was meant to be then. Yeah. That just seems very kismet. Yeah. And um, I was going to ask, can you, this waterless body cream, can you just, can, I'm very curious, how does that work? I'm very well, interested most to hear of, about that. Most of um, the body creams and uh, actually most of the products that you see in the market, you know, without society names, you know, they're very diluted with water, right? Uh, that makes formulations mm-hmm. less expensive, you know, markups are higher. And, uh, and I felt, you know, uh, it's just a ma- nice message. Besides the product being extraordinary, it's a, just a good message, you know, um, in terms of, you know, water consumption. You know, I lived, for yes. instance, you know, in an industry where denim, you know, was the core, you know, at Calvin Klein. And, um, yes. you know, and denim is the highest pollutant um, industry in the world after the oil industry. So we always, there's always haunted me in a way. So, this mm. was a challenge, you know, guys. Let's do something that has no water. Um, you know, how can you do it? So the only water that you have, for instance, on this formulation is um, is from aloe juice, which is absolutely natural. Oh. So you do have water, but it's na- aloe juice water. Anything else is pure ingredients, which is a combination of several different oils. Um, and of course, they're all sourced, you know, from me, uh, from my trips into the Amazon, which are export trips. So it's exciting and, and, and just leaves you, you know, extremely hydrated, but also your skin, you know, get this glow. Yeah, and surely stuff. if you're putting something into your skin that isn't, doesn't have like a high, you know, that doesn't have water in it, because, you know, basically rubbing water into your skin is eventually, like, because there's so much of your body made of water that it's going to dry itself out naturally anyway. So if you're actually putting like natural, like oils and resins into your body, that the, 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 the body's going to react really different, differently to if it was, you know, a, a high percentage of water within it. You know, it kind of makes massive sense because a lot of time when you rub something into your skin, you rub it in, you know, you it's amazing that you, you go through, as a woman especially, you know, you're kind of trying to, you're trying to look after your skin so much and you get, there's so many different messages that were sent about what we should be doing with the skin, how we should be looking after it, what we should be putting on it. But really at the end of the day, I mean, if we can get a product that basically isn't just, 
rubbing water into them. I mean, we could be sitting in a bath of water and moisturising ourselves that way if it actually worked, which it doesn't. So if oils do bring out, I would say, probably the best in your skins anyway when you're going down that route. Right, because, you know, I, you know, water can also um, dry your skin, you know. Yeah. Of course, you know, once you, I mean, to drink tons of water is the best thing you could do for your, for your, for your skin, yeah. for your health. But water tends to, uh, to uh, you know, to dehydrate the skin as well from applied to the outside. But, you know, not in that, in that sense of the cream. I mean, I think that's such a minimum amount. But I think the message behind is just as important as the cream itself because it's packed with vitamin E, uh, vitamin A, you know, um, it's really, really, really strong. And it's a firming, it's a firming cream. Uh, and besides, it really uh, has very luminescent because of all the oils. Mm. So it's, it's interesting. I do. So Francisco, I, go sorry, in, sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say, what, what um, I know that like the whole of Costa, Costa Brazil stemmed from the Amazon and your trips down to the Amazon. What was the initial um, kind of? Why did you go to the Amazon initially? Was there an invitation from someone, or was it just on your bucket list you'd always wanted to? You know, go? again, I was. Um, the project was pretty much done when it comes to, you know, I had merchandised this ideal, you know, lifestyle uh, um, collection, and uh, as I was mm. sourcing ingredients and also looking at labs, right? I, 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 I. I did a very extensive research in in, in Europe, Paris, uh, Switzerland, because I imagined everything out of Paris, out of France, out of Europe would be, mm-hmm. you know, the most, you know, uh, you know, most impactful. Yeah. Uh, I realized that, you know, the language that I was trying to say wasn't really there. You know, I found a very uh, uh, there was not enough ingredient that I was interested in in other words everything was kind of very mm-hmm. basic somewhat already in the market uh, and i felt kind of boring so this is what i'm looking for I, i'm looking for a signature i'm looking for a core uh of of a collection that doesn't exist so i was working with um my friend vic muniz you know the artist we were working on the opening of the special olympics uh, in Brazil. This was about six months after I left Calvin. And uh, I, I, we thought, no, we thought we organized this trip into Rio Negro, which is the east coast of the Amazon. And there was a very fancy trip. We had this amazing boat and chefs and what have you. And uh, we got somewhat very delayed on the process. You know, it was very somewhat complicated to work with, you know, an organization and so many people and so many things, so many aspects and so little money. So um, after all, we canceled the trip because we're all too, like, crazed about, you know, uh, coming up with the the opening ceremony. And um, I called the agent and I said, you know what, I really want to go no matter what on my own, but I want to go to a very obscure place, a place that's like, uh, I want to be with, you know, the locals. I want to be with the indigenous people. And coincide that there was this festival uh, in Acre. Acre is a state on the west coast of the Amazon, if you can imagine the Amazon being the size of Canada, you know. So it's like in the uh, in the west coast. So I packed my, my, my backpack, you know, completely uh, innocent. And I said, okay, a couple of bottles of water. <laughs> and uh, I embarked on this trip. Uh, which was really, really uh, exhausting. Um, it was like an, a, a very intense uh, trip, which I flew into uh, from Brasilia, which is the capital of Brazil. I flew into the town called Cruzeiro do Sul, which is, again, the furthest town we can fly into. And, uh, and it's the Southern Cross, it's called, the town. Because as, as you get off the plane, you look up, the Southern Cross is right at the top of you. It's amazing. And uh, you can see it so visibly. From there, we drove five hours into this one community, which is on the banks of this Gregorius River. Um, and from there, we took a canoe, uh, which took me six and a half hours into oh my goodness. The, the first tribe. It so happens that the Waiwanawas is the, uh, the ethnicity that I lived with. And... Uh, 
there's 11 tribes of the same ethnicity along this river. So I stayed with the Mutung, which is, um, you know, sort of a little more um, uh, known, perhaps, you know, and uh, they were accepting guests for this festival that they decided to do four years ago. And, um, and the intent of the festival is that they, they, they welcome people to go and understand what the culture is. So they profess all those great rituals that, that, that you know, uh, the, the tribes have always done. So there was the fishing ritual, there's the night ritual, there's the moon ritual, the sun ritual. And everything is like really involved in the, ch the children and the men and the women who was just very beautiful. Hmm. And, and what, I, what I found there is that the courtship in between the men and the women were just so beautiful. It's this movement of um, connection that they never touch each other, you know. It's almost like uh, uh, an expansion movement, which, you know, almost like a dance. So they, they really, really much, um, I'm not sure if I'm explaining this correctly, but that's how I felt. I, think, I mean, I totally get what you're saying when you say that because I think so often nowadays in the life that we lead, we want you know the, the the waiting um to touch someone the waiting to be with someone um the waiting to have something um we 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 rush ahead sometimes and sometimes it's really interesting um when you know to wait for something um and to want something because it does make you want it a bit more I, I think it's i think it's a really you know i think it's something that's really important especially in form in any relationships um you know whether they're friendships or or you know couple relationships it's it's, it's really important um sometimes that kind of like um, the animal instinct of almost sounding each other out is so important mm. and you know for me I, you, you can hear when you talk that you, you seem like such an adventurer you know you Coming, I mean, for me, when you said you came from Brazil and didn't speak a word of English, I'm like, Jesus! I mean, leaving where you, you your country and coming to another country one is one thing. That's that's a big thing to do, but not speaking the language as well is like wow. And then you know, literally, you just I'm just seeing you with this backpack going off into the Amazon. And I'm thinking, oh my God, he's such an adventure. You seem to yeah. really. Um, enjoy life well it, it was it's, I, I felt like I needed to uh, be surprised I felt like I needed to be challenged you know right. my values needed to be challenged um, and, and so did that because the experience wasn't a pleasurable experience right uh, it was very you know, I was watching all the time, you know. I wasn't really, uh, not to the very end, um, I felt like I belonged. Right. You know? um, and what did it change in you? Sorry? What do you feel it changed in you? What, what from that experience, did you come away with like, the main thing? That you it's very interesting because, you know, the life there, obviously, being so courteous and so slow, it's like living with cats, right? Become and they go. Yeah. So the, the interaction is it's a little bit like that, you know, when it comes to, you know, culturally, mm -hmm. you know, becoming part of them. Um, but I, I did things like, you know, there was this ritual of, of the fish, uh, fishing ritual. And I thought, okay, we're going to go to the river, you know, we're going to throw the thing and then we're going to catch a, a fish. So they, um, you know, we left for the forest, you know, uh, one morning. It was probably five in the morning. And uh, we went to chop this one particular uh, foliage, you know. Um, and I didn't know why I was doing that. I sort of I was just doing it. Uh -huh. So we worked very hard on, on finding this thing and just, like, you know, looking through it. You know, it's not in one area because, you know, there's not a plantation of anything. Everything is random, right? Mm -hmm. So you just have to go and find it. And uh, so we bring all the stacks of these bunches of things over our backs, like really work really hard at it. And uh, came to the village, we chopped the thing and made it into a pistol like. Then, you know, this is all men, all the males, right? And then we go into mm. canoes with buckets of this thing, or this green pistol. And um, 
And there was probably 50 canoes, you know, the whole tribe, the whole male tribe was there. Uh, then the, the night before, there was this dance. And uh, we're dancing, preparing for the fishing the next day. And the women uh, were to choose or to give the male, uh, whichever one they, they picked, you know, little bracelets. And the amount of bracelets that you got that evening were the amount of fish you had to bring back. So we go to the fishing next day, and uh, and all everybody we're all throwing this this fish into the water, and because it was in a very deep uh, river, um, the fish was coming up into the water. I, they somewhat got asphyxiated mm. by not having oxygen somewhat, and uh, and that's how the fish and then they speared them. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Of course, I. I was terrified. You know, I had my <laughs> little knife with me, and it was just like I, I made no, <laughs> I was no success. And I was just, yeah, how am I going to bring this fish <laughs> to these women? You know? And then it was a, a beautiful thing that happened. All the fish that was caught was on the banks of the river again, and uh, they start chopping the fish. So, based upon the bracelets that you carry, you got, you know, a slice of the fish. So, the effort was communal. Right. Um, here I'm thinking, okay, I have to get my three fishes. I have, and I'm feeling terrible because I haven't caught one. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, I was as I was at ease because, of course, I didn't know that all the fish was to be split and everybody got as much as they were supposed to. So, I mean, it's just a very simple thing. It's just a lot of things. So those are yes. things that I kind of learned, you know, maybe, you know, a little bit more of this, of this communal, this kind of like uh, support to each other. And, um, and that ha- and now something else very, uh, to me, very challenging happened towards the end because I did, I did something even crazier. I decided to leave a day earlier and my, everything was organized for me, pick, for me to be picked up, you know, at that particular day. And I said to myself, no, I'm going to leave a day before on my own. And I see what happens. So I, again, as I was living in, and people were telling me not to do it. And uh, and then I had. Why? Why did they say not to do it? I was like, you know, a foreigner. I was in the middle of the jungle. I was organized to be picked up that next day. You know, what if I, something happens? I don't know. I mean, obviously. Wow. And I said, guys, I, you know, I really want to go. Not because I wanted to depart. That the, the tribe, just because oh. I felt like I needed to push it. So mm-hmm. I, um, you know, my, the photographer that was with me said, okay, let's do it. So we did. We go to the banks of the river, you know, this again, like five in the morning, and this canoe passes by, and there was a pregnant lady. Um, so we basically hitchhiked with this Indian and this, his wife uh, to the next tribe. But that moment on, I just started crying, crying, and crying. I cried for three hours without stop. It was like, I can't tell you what happened. I was like a a little baby. I was like a little kid crying for no reason, feeling that something hadn't opened up. You know, I had been in a somewhat Mm. different um, wavelength. You know, a different communication had happened. You know, and uh, and I didn't analyze it by any means. It's just like I just felt it. You know, that's something. Really, uh, and did you feel completely different after, like, when you stopped crying after the three hours? Did you feel that something had been released? And that you- I, I, yeah, I was, I was, I was. There was a lot of anxiety on me, obviously. By um, I don't know. I had just left my job. I didn't know where to go. Yes. You know, all the questions and this, and now I'm in the jungle. This is a, this is like incredible. You know what's next? And uh, I think I was dealing mm. with a lot of that. And, uh, yes. and the really the greatest thing is that somewhat that just did um, was let go. It was like the sensations that I had or the feelings that I have were much more genuine to my own self, to my little, you know. So the little, the little, the little bits that we are, you know, in this yeah. ginormous mm-hmm. uh, sort of 
earth, you know. I hate to sound too esoteric here, but it felt I felt very small, but very big at the same time. Well, yeah, you had gone. I mean, especially. I mean, I don't think a lot of people don't um, realize how big the teams are that that you guys have underneath you when you're designing when these you know massive successful labels are you know producing you know pieces of um clothing that people want and that that, that it's just you know the, the pressure that are on that is on you guys is massive as well to keep making every collection successful and keep moving it forward um so i can imagine i mean again it must it must have taken some amount of guts to literally walk away from Calvin Klein to be like, you know what, I'm gonna change. This is I need they need to change, we need I need to change. That's a massive you know, it's a, it, it it takes a lot of guts to make that decision. Really? Yes, I mean I I, I think the industry was going through such I mean, it's still going through so much uh, change, and uh, uh, you know, I, I think corporations are treating designers really badly. Um, I think it's uh, we are very unprotected as a, as a as a community. You know, you, you just think about it. You know, the actors have an actors guild. Every every sort of uh, profession seems to have protection, and then yeah. you have designers like on their own. You know. And I felt, you know, at times we felt we feel very alone and very massacred by, you know, the one mm-hmm. too many collections, the one too many requests, you know, and you never win because, um, you know, there was there was the retail and there was the, you know, you have the face. My 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 schedule was so intense. I used to travel for, you know, I used to be on the road all the time. My collections were done basically two months prior for me showing them. So my time to create that was really, really short, which is this adrenaline rush, which is great, but, um, you know, not normal, not sustainable, not sustainable. No. And, uh, and, and better and more so is that how much do you need to produce? Why did you produce so much? Why yes. do we have to cater ourselves to the nuttiness of, of the, of the, of, of retail that's just killing everyone. And because of course, you know, there's so much there, you know, there's so much competition. We produce too much, you know, we damage the earth. So it's like all these questions, you know, um, not, not questions. I mean, all these realizations, all this came afterwards because if I had felt this mm-hmm. before, you know, I was very committed to the job. I'm always very committed to what I do, mm-hmm. but I was just like a worker, you know, just doing it, not thinking. So much that I could have had an impact. Um, in fact, I did. Uh, you know, I, I did. I, I did three collections that I was probably trying to say something, but really um, uh, not communicating the right way because, of course, I was in this corporation that had nothing to do with sustainability or you know, uh, or con- con- consciousness. You know, I remember I did a collection that I basically got, you know, yarns from leftover yarns from all the mills, including some mills in Scotland. And I created this whole collection out of knitwear with recycled yarn, for instance. Amazing. And um, I think, you know, that was just coming out of me, you know. I remember there was another collection, which I actually won the the Smithsonian Cooper Hewitt Design Award, which was a, uh, a crazy collection I called Alice in the Wonderland, which every piece of clothes could have been folded and folded flat in order for you to pack it up, you know, fashion for all. The pieces were extraordinarily beautiful, but everything folded into itself and flattened like pancakes. Yeah. Uh, So conceptually it was like, you know, carbon free, the shipping was much easier to do, you know, like space, all those, those interesting things. Anyway, I think those things were always there. Which in uh, in retrospect I understand, you know, I didn't know then what I was doing, uh, which is fine. Yes. But enough about me, guys. Come on. <laughs> well, I tell you what, just the no, the Amazon trip. I think is I find so inspiring. It's almost like it was cathartic and it was therapy, and it's you've come kind of full circle from going from Brazil to New York, and then you left from New York to go back to Brazil. Um, in a sanctuary that it, it, your experience made me similar to think of 
you know, those um, is it ayahuasca mm-hmm. ceremonies where you're in a community and it's therapeutic and there's this massive sense of release of anxiety and stress and trauma. And it's, I mean, I can't imagine the stress that you're under as a designer, as, as you know, in the public eye to produce. You've got to, you know, there's standards that are expected I, from you and then to just have that all go and just a sense of relief must have been, I, I can slightly relate to the, you crying and because I think it was just probably an enormous burden had been lifted from you and as you were coming away from I mean that must be very moving I mean an amazing experience to be with a tribe in the Amazon yeah um, and it's a clearing of your mind it sounded like it kind of it just got rid of everything and it just made you realize how unimportant certain things are and it puts things into perspective when you go into someone else's culture in a different country well not i mean it's brazil but a different yeah, environment and the uh i mean obviously i came back uh from there with this you know doing all the rituals you know the morning rituals afternoon rituals evening rituals um you know some involved in ayahuasca as well which i um you know, I fought against it, and really, the, the third day was like, mm. you know, there was this this um, shaman, and he was 103, uh, and he was the one who administrating the whole um, ayahuasca ritual. Right. Really, you know, this is not for me. I don't want to do it. You know, okay, I, I, I mean, mm. this, they call it the medicine. You know, I had not, I want nothing to do with yes. it. Yes. Um. But uh, I came back with there with this this rock um, called Breu. And Breu is this one the natural resin, you know, that uh, if this one tree called Almasaga, which is like blind soul. And um, this species is ginormous. I mean, it's, it, this tree grows like, I mean, seven foot high, you know, and the roots are Right. Really big. You know, you need like 10 people around, you know, the, the bark of the street to embrace it. So this particular tree releases a resin. And this resin is called breu. Uh, breu could be captured um, if, if the tree gets punctured or anything that happens to it. It releases this beautiful gelatin-like resin. In the very early morning, it's really white and scent. Fresh, 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 like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. And as it oxidizes during the day, it becomes obviously oxidized. It turns into a dark rock. So I, you know, there's this fire all the time, right? And uh, and the fire had this most beautiful scent. And I said, my God, is this the wood? What is it? So I found out that there was Brill. So I brought that with me. And uh, I says, you know, I have to use Breu as the olfactive uh, signature of this brand because it's magical, number one. I mean, it has really this insane, beautiful scent. And is this what the candles is from? The candles are from the resin? Precisely. Um, this, act, yeah, exact- this is the first ingredient. So I do analysis of it. You know, number one, they, 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 they burn it all the time because it's mosquito repellent. Number two oh. is um, it's antibacterial, it's uh, antimicrobial, and it's like um, it has really hitting powers. Besides, they believe that to activate your sixth chakra. So it's almost like you know walking to a church and you have all this mirror incense, what have you, that puts you in another mm. in another um, somewhat um, you know stage, right? So that that and uh, and then I said, you know, this is this has to be the first ingredient. So um, it, it it became, you know, because also its properties are so beautiful. And perfumers um, have never used this resin. Have they, has anyone ever used it before? Does does it? No, move? nobody has really. I mean, apparently, um, there's a company in Brazil who has used it, but in a very oh. little scale, like, uh, but not authentically so. Yeah, and Breu hmm. in Portuguese can always mean dark and darkness. Okay. And, uh, and, uh, and it's funny enough because the Breu itself is all about lightness. You know, uh, it's really funny. So that's, sorry. It, 
I was just going to say that's I, I've got one of your candles and I haven't lit it yet because it's I, I love it and it's very precious and the smell you, Charlotte is from, you'd love the smell yeah, of it. it's, it's you, wonderful don't worry. It's really wonderful darling <laughs> I do I love I mean I really love I, I just you know like the the smell for me is just so important that it takes you to so many different places um and when something you know it just sounds so pure and something obviously it's is it's natural which sometimes you just think it, with all these properties as well I'm literally like oh my god I just want it in my house I just want it to be around me um I just I always find that you know it's sent it's so evocative of so many different things to to people and to where your mind goes and your creativity as well because you know I always find that if there's certain places bring out certain parts of me for for songwriting or whatever it is um and that that interests me as well because you know as a creative person um Francisco I always I mean when you were talking about deadlines and designers not being looked after and everything um I totally get it because always I used to think how do they work to such a fast turnaround I always thought that like literally through the years of watching fashion and everything and thinking, how do they turn it around that fast and still be so creative? It's just, it's, it's a massive ask from the, from the fashion houses. Um, I, but you know, now when you're creating this line that you're doing, are you working to just whenever it comes, it comes about, like when you find certain elements to add to the collection um, for like the perfume, the smells, the scents, the candles, the oils, will it just be a continuous thing that will just grow naturally? Yeah, I mean, in fact, for instance, the first thing that uh, I'm calling I'm calling the whole thing slow luxury, you yeah. know, because it needs yeah. to be it needs to have a slower pace. People need to understand what the ingredients are. If this was a different kind of collection that was just marketing. You know, I understand how people go fast with it. Mm -hmm. I can't. Number, uh, you know, so it's it's low luxury. One has to understand the value of the ingredient, what it actually is, what it actually does. You know, so it's okay. I'm not in a rush. Plus, you know, for instance, I have a second ingredient, which is also exclusive to us, called kaya. We named it kaya. It comes from a supple kaya tree. And uh, this tree is an indigenous Brazilian tree. The Portuguese, when they uh, arrived in Brazil, they fell in love with it. And as they're building their, their palaces, they mass planted this throughout. So somewhat, we, 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 I had seen this tree many times. Uh, and it produces this crazy prehistorical coconut, you know, and when it opens up, you know, monkeys are just like go crazy about it. You know, it just pops. There's a, there a cat that, that pops naturally. It hmm. feels like it was cut, but it's not. Anyways, that was my second ingredient. And uh, I have exclusivity to it because I challenged this one supplier, this one um, lab, you know, in the northeast of Brazil, on the west coast of Brazil, on the east coast of Brazil, and uh, to create me this oil. And nobody had ever done that before. So right now... We have identified trees, you know, those trees that belong, you know, are part of some communities that we uh, do directly, you know, the support through this one lab. And, uh, and, and, and it crops once a year, right? It crops in November. So I, you know, I've been buying the crops for two years, you know, so one year we had, you know, 480 kilos of it. You know, this year was like 500 kilos of it. You know, next year could be 300. I don't know. So I yes. I think my, the idea here is to work with scarcity, work with nature, you know, and work with nature for nature in a sense. So if, you know, if next year there is none, I will sell none of it. Right. But it's okay. Wow. Because I have also identified all the ingredients you know, uh, the, the insane, insanity thing of the equatorial, you know, the Amazon, for instance, the equatorial, you know, uh, forest around the world is uh, its varieties, right? I mean, we're sitting on something that's really extraordinary, mm-hmm. um, and that's why it needs to be protected. Um, we now, um, 
since you know I started with this, I have uh, become very involved with Conservation International, which is an organization that's been going on for about 35 years. And uh, I think uh, they have supported me tremendously on my sourcing because also as I went through other areas in the Amazon, I realized that I couldn't do it on my own because um, many communities that are led by women, which are totally incredible, you, you go into some of those communities um, and, uh, and the workforce and the smartness is all, always the women, really. Uh, but, you know, these are kind of uh, uh, communities that are founded and already have their deals with some manufacturers and what have you. So I needed um, support of an a organization, and CI was the perfect thing to associate myself with because they have soldiers on the ground, so they, they are there. Right. Um, with that being said, um, you know, I, we, we, you know, the idea is that we, um, working very close with them, we can also change um, the landscape, you know what I mean? Now we are in the process mm-hmm. of we, going back to when we launched. We launched December 6th. On December 21st, we did this campaign via Instagram that you could actually donate an emoji of a tree to your friend and then we through ci would plant a tree so um we managed to do six thousand trees and uh, which is great for you know we're a startup we're small but the exciting thing is that this december i'm going to go into the area in where the trees were planted so also understand you know how how we, how we restore areas right because you think, you know, replanting yes, is just, yeah. you know, you put a little, you know, seed there and what have you. There's so many techniques and so many things. So as, you know, we, we are trying really to, to uh, not just speak about this whole movement, the sustainability, that's one of our pillars, but really to act. And I hate, and, and, I, I, and I hope not to talk about it. I just hope act about it, mm. you know, and then make a difference, you know. Wow. Yes. Well, you're following through with all of that and you're kind of being transparent exactly. as well about it. So, uh, Well, I'm, I was going to say, I'm afraid we're kind oh, of out of time. About, oh, come um, on. <laughs> well, we're, we're supposed to be doing a 20-minute podcast. I'm we're nearly on 50 minutes. Come on. Older than you. I'm like, this is amazing. I mean, it's so, what's so fantastic is that, you know, a lot of people talk the talk. But you know, there's so much that that is that we take out of this world, and we do not replace it. Um, you know, and there's there's so many things going on. I mean, in the UK at the moment, we're having a massive um, social housing problem, and you know, basically they've they've lost so much social housing, but they and they don't replace it. And it's 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 you know, it's an easy enough thing to do if it had been put into place instantly as they were taken away, they were replacing more. And exactly what you said, when all these trees are coming down, if the trees are going back in, then, you know, we're creating a, a world for the future and and we are replacing what we take out of it. And it needs, everything needs to be replaced. It does need to, you know, we need to do that to make the wheel turn um, and continue to turn to make people's lives better. Yeah, I mean, the, the only scary, really scary part is that with uh, our new government in Brazil, um, three sizes, three uh, uh, an area of three football fields have been destroyed every week. So there was an article in the New York Times wow. this weekend, which is really alarming. Uh, we're preparing a campaign uh, based on that. Uh, September twenty third to twenty eighth, you know, there will be the um, global warming summit that you went in one of the panels, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we are doing a little salon here at the house, we're inviting people, you know, to learn a little bit more with a delegate from CI who will be talking. So uh, it's really alarming. Now, uh, the Amazon is 30% of, you know, of, of the air of the oxygen that we breathe. And, uh, and, and, and if that goes in this rate, in 40 years, we have no Amazon left. So it's really, really, really scary. So it's not, I think that belongs to all of us, right? Uh, the president of the, the, yes, of yes. the nation of Brazil be, 
thinks that the Amazon belongs to them or to Brazil alone. So that's a misconception. So I think every one of us, you know, we, have, we all have to feel this fire and understand the magnitude of this problem. And anything we could do, you know, it would be really tremendous, um, you know, help to. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody exactly. has to play a part. Not just click a like on Instagram with someone saying something. They just actually, they need to act. And it's, it's hard to get people to, to do that unless they've had sure, an experience sure. with something. Um, you know, I, uh, I'm going to Brazil to the area called Xingu where the restoration program is uh, being going on. Uh, and I welcome anyone to come. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'll be like, when, no, when, quite fancy. Yeah, that, <laughs> I could do that. <laughs> that would be amazing. Wouldn't that yeah. be an amazing experience? Well, Francisco, I'm afraid we do have to wrap it up, but I think we well, need to do a so part much. two with you. Uh, we're a great, great uh, opportunity to be talking to you uh, again. And I think I was there on the fitting for your for your for your you, outfit. You were. I think I was at your house. Where do you live now in London? I'm still I'm still in Regent's Park. So yeah, I remember you came over because you came over with oh my David Bamberg. Yeah, you came over with David because David did the first fitting. And then in, in my mind, that's why I mentioned it because I thought, I'm sure he came to the fitting for my, for this, the second fitting of my of my Elvis suit for the video. Yeah, I remember you came. So it's, I'm in the same house. I'm in the exact same house. Oh, my God. That's why. Well, when you come <laughs> to London, you have to come and visit me again. We'll have yeah, to. Yeah, I'd love to. It'd be a pleasure, really. And we'll do a tea ceremony. Lovely. You no, know, I'll send you some some products so you can, uh, you know, feel it and uh, it'd be give lovely. me feedback. I'm looking forward to seeing it, and seeing the packaging and everything, and it's just amazing that it's all sustainable. So it's totally fantastic that you're doing this. Yeah, it's really great. We're very. It's brilliant. Yeah. Congratulations, so Francisco. It's, it's really inspiring. And uh, I send yes. you much love to both of you, and uh, okay. we'll speak soon. Our next guest is someone Charlene and I actually both know, although Charlene knows him much better than I do. Dylan Jones, who is the long-standing editor of British Men's Style Bible, GQ. He's also been awarded an OBE by the Queen, which is no small feat. I first met Dylan when I was the fashion editor of The Face quite some time ago, actually. So I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did.